You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Welcome to the 602 Club, Track FM's local watering hole. I am so excited to be here tonight as, well, you know, I... We don't often get to talk about the end of a franchise. Like, franchise don't seem to end these days anymore. They just seem to go on forever. It, uh, in fact, I feel like we should maybe just call them all the never-ending stories mm-hmm. because they just never end. So tonight, the end of the X-Men franchise, as we know it, is coming to an end as we talk about Dark Phoenix. And very excited that, um, well, Christy, I'm glad to have you here. Uh, to to talk about that with me. I'm pretty excited about it. Wait that. a second. I see what you did. <laughs> I don't approve of this. I want to point out, too, that you mentioned <laughs> franchises never ending. Technically, this year is a big year for franchises quote-unquote ending because we have Endgame, which we all know isn't really the end, but it's the big finale. And then we have Episode Nine, which, again, isn't the end, but it's the end of the Skywalker saga. Game of Thrones just ended. Come on, man. Thank you for calling him out, Sean. That's true. Although Game of Thrones is just about to do a prequel series. Star Wars has... Damn it. You're right. You're uh, right. Benioff Nothing and comes Weiss to an going end. to do more films. And money Marvel will never end. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because we're going to get more uh, Guardians of the Galaxy next. Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah. Black Panther, Spider-Man in like less than a month. This is the song that it never, never stops, ends. Okay, I had to. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, well, uh, as you can hear, Christy and Sean are here to talk about this. It's going to be a blast, I think, uh, getting a chance to dive into this last film. And so uh, before we do that, quick reminder, you know, find us wherever you get your podcasts. Anywhere you can find podcasts, you can find the 602 Club. And make sure if you're on Apple Podcasts or on iTunes, give us a star rating review. Please do help people find the show. Let them know what you think of the show. And when you do that, We'll read your review here online and let people know what you thought of the show. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at TrekFM or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. And we've got the listeners only discussion group on Facebook called the Babel Conference. Now, if you want to join that, please just type Babel into the search field on Facebook or any of the show pages on TrekFM. Uh, there's a little button that says discussion. Hit that. That'll let you in the group. And, uh, of course, last but not least, maybe you, kind of old school, you like the email and you want to send us one, go over to trek.fm slash contact, choose a show, choose the 602 Club, and that will come to Christy and I. In fact, what about me? We'd love to hear what you think of do I get, this Do I get an X-Men email? Film. Do any of the emails come to me? No. Yes. If you are on the episode, I always forward that to whoever was a host. Hey. That but only so. the ones where people are upset by my appearance. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I mean, I and I haven't gotten any of those yet, Sean. So, oh, all right. Yeah. Well, not too yeah. bad. So, I'm going to try no my worries. hardest to make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, tonight could be the night because, uh, of course, we're talking about Dark Phoenix. And 
I just wanted to gauge where you guys were because, you know, this movie, we've got them. Basically, I, I kind of I've labeled this kind of idea is is remaking mistake. Um, so, you know, with Days of Future Past wiping out the last stand from continuity, they thought, well, why not redo the Dark Phoenix storyline and do it where it's closer to the comic? And so even before coming into this movie, what did you think of that as an idea since the last stand kind of sort of in a roundabout backhanded sort of way told I guess a Dark Phoenix story. I wouldn't say it's the Dark Phoenix story. So it certainly has a uh, a character who is a phoenix in a different version of that story, but never behaves in any manner that is resembling that character. Whatever, whatsoever. They were like, "Oh, Phoenix, that's like ashes, right? So everything will turn to ash, but she won't actually do anything Phoenix related." <laughs> So that was, my, you know, my my reaction. It's weird. I the X Men franchise. I have such a I have such a love for it. Had its ups and downs, some significant downs. But uh, it was always a bummer that I, I hadn't read the Phoenix story, the Dark Phoenix story. I I was a big fan of the movies and never really delved into the comics much. But I knew the Phoenix story. I think from the series and just hearing about it from everybody. And X-Men 3 was it was a nightmare to watch in general, but I was also bummed out that I was like, oh, that sounded like it could have been a really cool uh, ending to a trilogy if it had been done right. So I was like moderately interested to see what would happen. I was like, they wouldn't do it again and do it bad after doing it wrong the first time, would they? And uh, I, but I was, I'm, I'm lukewarm after Apocalypse. I was kind of like, I don't know. And hearing all the production woes and things like that, I wasn't like excited, but I wasn't dismissive either. But that's kind of where I was. I get where you're coming from because I was kind of the same as far as my history of involvement with like the X Men franchise. It was mostly movies, um, a little bit here and there with the comic. Um, so I was like aware of what, you know, you should expect from the characters, but I was never as involved in that comic as others um but i mean i i wasn't dismissive of it i was kind of curious of how it was going to come out especially seeing a lot of the actors returning um Mm. but i I think that it's not promising at first you know before seeing the movie to know that the same person that made last stand is now doing this one it's like wait no i'll fix it this time i promise it's like no quit while you're behind (laughs) <laughs> and honestly, I think it just from the reviews we saw on Rotten Tomatoes this week, I feel like it's kind of made him realize maybe I should have just stopped. I was I wanted them to do this story well. I, I never read the comics, but I knew obviously Last Stand was a train wreck because it was a train wreck. Um, it's just not a very good movie whatsoever. And, you know, one of the things I think um, I was thinking through this and I, I feel like this this was also a question I thought. When we're looking at the X-Men franchise after Apocalypse, right, is this even the right time to try and tell this story with the version of the characters that we have? I I feel like there's a movie missing. So, so my big thing with Apocalypse, just in terms of, I think, I mean, we did First Class and we did Days of Future Past together, Matt. So right, I, we didn't talk I, about Apocalypse. Yeah, I think we were we pretty much on the same page it, yeah. about 
both of them where uh, first class I thought was it was like, all right, well, at least we're back on the right track. I don't love this movie, but it's it's a step in the right direction. And Days of Future Past, I was like, oh, that was that was so good. That was so much fun. And Apocalypse, uh, I almost forgot about it the instant I left the theater, but I wasn't miserable watching it. I remember that much. But my biggest thing about that movie, I remember thinking like, well, God, I wish they had just focused on like Jean Grey, Scott Summers and and. Kurt Wagner and just focused on the the kids like the new kids this feels like so the new kids on the block is the new kids saying. on the block I just wanted the new kids on the block to have a cameo appearance in every X-Men movie and perhaps just record the entire soundtrack too that would have been fantastic but I feel like there was a movie missing almost like Dark Phoenix is still this movie treats it like with the gravitas of like uh Endgame almost like in terms of like this is the end to a big franchise but without having earned it and with characters that we haven't spent a lot of time getting to know like they were on the periphery of what happened in Apocalypse and then all of a sudden we're expected to like be invested in them in Dark Phoenix and I just felt like god I wish I'd had more time with them because I really like the actors a lot and I think they could have been really great if they've been given some breathing room but this felt like I'd missed an episode of a TV show and had suddenly been asked to like, no, but you really have to care about these people that you don't know much about. Right. Like it just doesn't build to the same kind of level like the Marvel universe does toward Endgame or toward even Infinity yeah. War. And so it, it does feel like a piece is missing. And then too, when you read about how Kinberg felt like before, maybe the scope was too large and he needed to bring it back down and be more grounded. He can't do that at the same time as wanting it to be more similar to the comic because apparently the comic for the Dark Phoenix part of it was more in space. I So I has anyone else, so no one else has read the comic? I actually happened to read the comic just in time for, for, this, nice. for this episode. <laughs> and it's, it's ridiculous. The comic is ridiculous. I will also point out that the, the Dark Phoenix story arc uh, takes way too long to get to the Dark Phoenix part of it. That threw me off. Mm. It introduces Dazzler. For those of you who don't know, Dazzler is basically like, the Taylor Swift of X-Men, I guess. And everyone... Which we saw in this film. Yeah, so. she she makes I mean, an appearance not Taylor in the film. Swift, but Dazzler. I, yes, I appreciated that cameo. But the Dark Phoenix saga, it's like, it, it collects about eight issues. And of those eight issues, only two of them really focus on Phoenix. The rest of them are like, it's the Hellfire Club. Here's Dazzler. Here's Kitty Pride. And uh, I, I, so I read the comic, but also most of the Phoenix story... <laughs> It takes place in outer space. There you go. In like a cosmic, like alien, like they battle on some alien planet and it's ridiculous. But you're absolutely right. It's kind of like, well, especially in in the era where the MCU has made like everything. Pl- like there's a Guardians of the Galaxy movie that people loved. Like that now that that's kind of mainstream, there's almost no excuse not to embrace the ridiculousness of that story. It's kind of a bummer, but eh. right. See, and uh, and this is the thing, though, is that I don't think I don't think any of that is the issue. I think the issue is something that you are touching on, both Christy and Sean. It's that there feels like there's something missing. Apocalypse did not do a good job of building on those new characters. And and when I say new characters, they're not really new because they're reinterpretations of the characters that we knew 
from the other films. And in this continuity, you know, it's like they have the possibility then because of what we saw in Days of Future Past at the very end where with what Wolverine sees, it could all go towards like being a really good version of all of that, right? And so, you know, what what happens though is that Apocalypse doesn't actually then build on that goodwill I feel like with those new characters, we don't really utilize them very well. Um, and we don't really spend the quality time that we did with those original characters in one and two, where we really cared about them. And so I think that's more the issue is that it's not that this story has gravitas to it, or it's trying to take itself seriously or any of those things. I just feel like that it wasn't the right time to try and tell this story with these characters because they needed a story to connect us with those characters that we hadn't had yet. And that's really the main problem. It's not that really this is a bad movie. I don't think. I just think that it's more that I don't care about Gene and Scott and, um, you know, the, the new, um, you don't even know their names. That's how little you care about them. (laughs) You know, I don't care about them in the way that I cared about that original cast. Because they haven't done what they needed to do to make me care about them. And it's not even due to the performances of the characters or anything like Mm -hmm. that. It's just like you said, it feels kind of like this story skips over the 10 years that would have been better for them to have made another movie in and then tell this story. Because if you did that and made us care, then this story would have so much more weight and it would be a much better film but they don't do that. Yeah, I feel like Apocalypse is what screwed all this up. It basically, you had one trilogy that started with First Class, continued with Days of the Future Past, and then Apocalypse was like the start of another trilogy that then skipped the second part and concluded with Dark Phoenix. But it's like, they, I feel like you could have concluded the First Class trilogy and then started a new one that focused on Cyclops and then maybe given us some more time with them. Right, well, and I mean... it too if you think about like mystique would be the perfect example you care more about her in this movie because we've had so much time in so many situations dealing with her emotionally and getting to know her as a person than you have with cyclops or with gene i feel like we still know the same things about cyclops and gene that we have the whole time they're like we've seen we've seen what their powers are (laughs) they like they like each other he has a cool visor and she has red hair and gets headaches That's I mean, he looks way cooler than Jordy LaForge. <laughs> you know, <with laughs> I wanted visor. him to wear his sunglasses. Is that just not a thing anymore? Is that I not like not. I couldn't decide? Like, did they think it was not hip for him to wear sunglasses because it wasn't particularly hip for him to wear the visor the entire movie? I would have been grateful to see some sunglasses come out. I was very yeah, upset. I mean, and, and Ray Ban would have been you know happy they would have been to all have over some, that you know yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I think, you know, that's that's kind of, it, it, it's so interesting coming into this movie, and I, I think, I, I just feel like the lesson that they didn't take out of Apocalypse, which would have been the most important lesson, was all superhero movies need you to feel for the characters that you're trying to tell your story with. And and, and here, the, the characters I care about are Charles and Magneto and Hank, right? Because, and, and, and... Raven, because those are the characters that we spent the most time with, and their storylines still have an ongoing thread. But when you switch it and make most of this movie about the internal 
characterization of Jean Grey, who is a character that I haven't spent a lot of time with, and in this incarnation, it doesn't matter how good Sophie Turner is or isn't in the movie, I I have trouble connecting with that character because, like we said, it's like there is a piece missing to their history. Um, and it's almost as if I've come into the movie where it's like, oh, we had intermission and now we're, you know, mm-hmm. like, but that intermission in that other part seemed like they were kind of important to where we get in this storyline. Because one of the things I don't even have in the outline, but I think is interesting, this movie, we, we, we kind of start with the X-Men being people that the world love and like the president has i mean they have an x phone yeah they're like, on speed dial you know, that was charles amazing. just gets a call from the president and is like on on an x phone it's like hey we need your help in space you know like yeah there's it so much actually that has, like an x-men like it felt like x-men like it was like this is the first time it's felt like oh they're a team that they go off and they fight things that nobody else can fight mm-hmm the other ones are it's yeah. like, oh, they're outcasts. They're kind of like working around with smaller scale stuff. But this is the first time it was like, here they are. They're going to help save the day. I was like, I like that. That's kind of cool. And they're matching uniforms and they're nice ship. And they're matching yes. uniforms. That's yes. right. And what we needed was a whole movie of yep. that. Like, yeah, basically of them. Like, it would have been great to have that that you know, like five years between Apocalypse and this, and have them be where they're just being accepted by the world as this team, and maybe it's their first big mission that makes them the superheroes that the world thinks of them as, you know. And that way, you get to come together with this team, and you really start to care about these characters. But they they kind of excised that, mm-hmm. and and you know, it was kind of interesting because then in the movie you you take a character to which um i think it's good to ask this question but is charles the villain in this movie is he really the one who's more the villain than even volk or volk or however you say you know jessica chastain's character let's just call her jessica chastain (laughs) yeah um we'll just call her jessica um we're tight like that um (laughs) yes yeah um but I thought that that was really interesting here um, because they're they're layering it with the idea that Charles is trying to do the right thing, but maybe Charles has also started to drink a little bit of his own Kool-Aid, you know, and, and believe a little bit too much of his own hype. And that was also kind of, like, that was the most fascinating part of the movie because Charles is the character that I probably care the most about here. And I felt like that was a very interesting question to then ask for this mastermind chess player that we've had throughout all of these films has that kind of led him to think a little too highly of himself and to me at least it gave McAvoy something really to sink his teeth into and probably the most rewarding part of the movie well yeah like an abuse of power basically I like that they make it like he can get into anybody's head anytime he wants and that's not fair you know like what if Gene doesn't want him in there messing with stuff and apparently now we know he did go in and legitimately intentionally change her memories so that she would forget about what happened and I mean on the one hand you could say he's doing the right thing by protecting her like they said in the movie, but then on the other hand, it's like, but they're her memories. That's her life. Like you're not God to just come in and change whatever you feel like changing about a person. Yeah. I, I really liked the idea of it. Like I wasn't 
it it didn't put me off. Like I liked the prospect of let's explore a different side of this character because Xavier, you know, you see him kind of stumble a bit in Days of Future Past, and uh, he's kind of a more uh, like youthful and exuberant version of the character in First Class. But like for the most part, it's like he's a noble guy. He does the right thing. And this is the first time they try to explore a darker side of that. It's the same thing where it's like this would have worked so much better if they'd planted the seed of it in any of the movies. But for the most part, he's been a decent guy. So it was it was a weird left turn for them to try to do the entire arc of that version of the character in this like movie that's less than two hours. But it, it, to be fair, McAvoy's really good in the part and it it's not like it's not that it doesn't work it just felt like a little like oh don't don't try to do this like don't try to switch things up so so near the end of the the franchise with this one movie um i wish they'd given it a little bit more time to to develop that makes sense yeah i think i think that would have been i i because a part of this like you said Sean it's like this movie is about just two hours and it feels like this needs to be a three-hour epic or something that's been kind of like there again there needs to be an another story between this one and apocalypse to really make us feel this and I I don't feel like it's a bad storyline because I do feel like in many ways, you know, Charles has always been the character that does think he knows what's best. And I think you can see that specifically in first class. Like if you go back and watch first class, he is the character who kind of believes he knows what's best for everybody all the time. Even I mean, we see that that uh, fight kind of between him and Magneto, you know, the, the idea of, of feeling like he, he knows what's, what's, um, truly right and good for everybody. He's kind of the moral arbiter in the, in this world. And here he used that, he uses that moral arbiter role to, to do something that the intentions are good, but he doesn't truly think through what the impact is going to be. And I kind of, you know, one of those things was, is that we, that the desire that every parent has, you know, to want to protect their children. And that in the end, you can't, you, you, you have to allow your child to go through those dark, tough things because it's really the only way that they grow. Um, and if you just push things away or push things down or try to hide things or, or, um, you know, don't deal with things emotionally, you end up with the problem you get with Jean here in the first place, which is that she doesn't know how to deal with the emotions. Um, and now she's got all of these powers and these emotions combined together and she really doesn't know how to handle it. You know, it's like it wouldn't have been so much of a problem if she had actually been able to walk through the process of healing from what's happened instead of just having never dealt with it in the first place and just pushed away as if it wasn't a problem. I th- I mean that again, like it's, it's, it's good, you know, like that's again, it's not a bad theme or anything like that. I just feel like it just does feel a little bit rushed and that's too bad, especially with, um, especially with this series that's, you know, done some films where it really does a good job of that. Like, you know, I just, I think of Logan, you know, it's able to 
take that storyline, but it builds off of all of that history so well. And it makes radical changes to characters like Charles, right? But that's because it's set in the future. Like they just, it, this movie, it's like, it has a lot of really good intentions and a lot of good ideas, but it kind of fails in the same way that Charles fails, you know? Yeah, I feel like maybe part of the problem is I, I kind of, Days of Future Past gave me almost the, without doing the same story, it gave me kind of the X-Men 3 I always hoped for. Like, it was like, oh, we're correcting the past errors we did. They brought Brian Singer back to kind of like, oh, he'll finish what he started. So to me, that was almost, even though it opened the doors for the franchise to continue, it almost felt like a conclusion to the first couple X-Men movies. And Logan especially felt like this is like a conclusive ending to this story. And part Mm -hmm. of maybe the problem with Dark Phoenix is it it doesn't really feel like the ending of anything. I know they were at the last minute, I guess the marketing campaign tried to push this idea of it's the big finale, but it doesn't feel final in the same way those movies did to me. And I think that works against it too. Is it, it's they're coming after this movie comes after Logan and days of future past. And those movies were really strong. And this movie is just kind of like, no, but we're the finale uh, and just kind of gives up. <laughs> and, um, not that it, it like I'm kind of with you, Matt. I don't think this movie's terrible. It, it it kind of falls into the same category as Apocalypse, where I feel like I I'm forgetting about it. I, I have forgotten about it, but I wasn't miserable watching it. I was just kind of like, oh okay, right. this is fine, right. I guess. Like there were some moments like this one uh, with Charles that it it resonates with you still. Um, and I misspoke earlier, but I was meaning with Raven's death, like that meant something to me. Um, like I actually got teary. Um, so it, it wasn't all bad or anything like that. Um, but it, it definitely did feel rushed. And then, um, I think that there should have been more time to explore everything to do with the characters individually. But I, I did really like, going this different route with Charles because he's always been the good guy to show that everybody makes mistakes. And and I like what you hit on Matt, that she really, Jean never learned how to deal with having problems in general, much less the big problem that happened with her accidentally killing her parents. I mean, so now she's older and in this situation where she has all of this power, she can't control and doesn't know how to handle problems. So she just freaks out and literally explodes every time. And what's nice is the point you brought up where the deaths in this movie, there aren't that many deaths. Like, again, it doesn't feel yeah, like everybody it, should have died. Raven. <laughs> yes. Raven is OK. Is, is she gets killed. And Jean Grey is eh, not dead, but not dead. But remember, like, I just remember part of what made me so angry about X-Men 3 is how uh, insignificant every death felt. Like, Cyclops dies instantly. Professor X, he explodes. Everybody who dies in that movie, it just felt so like, all right, well, this is ridiculous. So at the very least, Dark Phoenix had a sense of, like, if if it wasn't always successful when raven died it didn't feel like it felt or earned might not be the right word but it didn't feel like just a throwaway death it was kind of expected but it didn't feel as false it didn't ring as false to me as the everything in x-men 3 everyone who died in that movie 
Well, and I think that, you know, just speaking specifically of Raven's death is the fact that it does what any death in any story should do. It impacts all of the characters in pretty profound ways. So you get the the huge impact for um, Jean Grey who this has been her mentor. This has been the person who has been by her side, who's been helping her, you know, um, and all of this off screen in in the movie. We never got right again. That's again where, you know, another movie would help, but we get that sense that this really has had an impact on her. And then of course it has the same impact on Charles and, and on Magneto and Hank and the the rest of the team, you know? Um, So, it does what you want a death to do, which is to really take all of the characters and move them in different directions and, and have that death, them deal with it in different ways. And so, you know, when you get that moment where Hank confronts Charles about his mistake, you know, there's real weight to that. And that's probably, I would say that is the best scene in the movie because it's with the two characters we care the most about and it's it's the one that that plays up the themes perfectly but through the performances and again through the characters that because we've been with them for so long we really care about what's going on between them and what they're feeling and all of that and so you know again there are some things that this movie does well i think you know, as we've been saying, it would have been better if there had been more context because we had had another film to set that up. Mm-hmm. And um, it's unfortunate that we don't have that because I think you could have had some real success in that. But I mean, you have some moments like that, where, like you mentioned, Christy, Raven's death, and then the aftermath of Raven's death with uh, the different characters. And it, it, it actually is good. So, And I'm honestly disappointed that we didn't get more magneto even though i know this is dark phoenix it's the same thing it's Can it's the Fath problem with... just being all the things yeah. like, he's great at everything <laughs> well, they don't feel like they got conclude like i don't feel like they like the ending for xavier in this movie is he gives up and decides to like he he's defeated which is not a bad idea to like kind of put him in that place but again it just felt like Magneto especially like what what is what has his character been doing I feel like Apocalypse they did this weird thing where he went off and had a family and he I can't I honestly can't remember I've forgotten that movie but then in this he's like on a mutant colony just kind of their leader it doesn't feel like it feels like they forgot to conclude the stories of the characters we've known and gave us a bunch of new characters to invest in and uh, I I miss I just want more Michael Fassbender that's really all I'm trying to say, I want more Michael Fassbender in my life all the time. Oh, me too. That's it. The island of misfit mutants. That's where he's <laughs> oh, been. I know. Right, like, we got to go. We got to move. When did there. he decide, you know, I'm done hurting people. I want to be a farmer. Right. <laughs> <It just laughs> that was also in nowhere. The, the unproduced sequel <laughs> that we'll never see. Farming with Magneto. <laughs> um. Hello and welcome to Mutant Farming. <laughs> oh man, oh. that would be real exciting. Actually, I feel like I feel like, like that should be an app, Mutant Farm. <laughs> There's you know? some mutant out there who's had like the useless power of like 
far like oh i can fertilize real well <laughs> <laughs> this is a little dirty wow. but like he so this mutant out there is like it can make flowers grow with his mind or it can make just no how about just corn it's like my power is to make crops grow and then magneto comes along and he's like i've i've got the perfect place for you and he finally <laughs> i, lo- has I love purpose. the development of this story <laughs> it started with someone creating fertilizer and became a really touching story. That should be the next X-Men movie, I think, is a spinoff about I think this character. have got a plan here. X-Men, yeah. mutant farming. So this... <laughs> oh, we, we mentioned that, you know, this movie does have a more somber tone. And I think, you know, it's one of the things that most of the X-Men movies do is that there is a lot more seriousness to them, you know, um, for the most part. They they always kind of took themselves more seriously. And it is something that I I really enjoy about their movies. You know, there aren't just jokes to have jokes. And, like, you know, we think about the subject matter here. You know, this is a little bit more like a days of future past thing. I mean, we're dealing with this could be the end of the world again if this power is unleashed on it um, or if it's in the hands of the wrong person. And so, you know, I really, I just appreciate that that there is a movie company out there that's trying to tell a different type of superhero movie um, and the X-Men movies had done that for so long and they've been doing it well. I think this movie does it well. Um, I just, I think again, the tone doesn't quite work because, um, cause you have one second, it's serious. And then the next second there's a mutant attacking you with his dreadlocks. Well, <laughs> and I don't even have, you know, a problem with that because we've seen mutants with some really weird powers in these movies. <laughs> I was you know? I actually was like this feels like it would be in a comic book. Like this goofy guy with his his evil dreadlocks. Like it's sort yeah, of like I mean, the is X-Men that his ever name, defeat like dreadlock. Him. Nice. Yeah, yes. Probably. Psylocke and Dreadlock. Yeah, there you go. There's mm. the next. That's the next Can spinoff. We get Psylocke back. I missed Psylocke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where's she? Anyway. I, I, she was barely in Apocalypse, and I, uh, I don't know. I well, don't know. she was supposed to be in this movie apparently, but um, she was filming that awful Shane Black film Predator, uh, oh, and no. could not be in this film when they were yeah. filming it. So, um, but I, I just appreciate. I, I did appreciate the the tone of this movie, and I felt like. You know, they they stuck with the consistent tone that they've been working with throughout all of the X-Men movies. And I I appreciate that they never thought to themselves, oh, man, we we got to be more like the other Marvel movies. No, they always stuck to what they did. Um, And I I thought that was smart to not just try and copy um, something else that has been successful because they had been successful at this, you know, so it, it. to me, it worked in this movie. I just wish it had worked better because there had been another serious movie before this one after Apocalypse. Well, and it's funny that you say that, that you know, like they didn't um, want to copy something else it, with the funniness. I totally agree. And I get like the tone was on point with everything before it in the X-Men franchise. But it it I did read that Kinberg apparently was deliberately trying to make the film more like what he had seen in Logan um, and in that he wanted it to be more in that kind of grounded way and organic. And um, I think he even said like Star Wars, 
um, basically giving props to, you know, George Lucas for having this um, more handmade, lived-in world. But when you're trying to tell this story that should have, like Sean was saying, taken place more in outer space, being grounded doesn't make sense. And then it it felt, too, like, honestly, that the screenwriting that Kinberg did in some of the scenes with the dialogue... Um, I didn't like when they had Jennifer Lawrence say, you know, the women are doing all the work around here anyway. You should call us the ex-women. That felt a little too winky. It I was. was. Like, yeah, it's right? Like a, and that Someone in the dumb. audience like lost it in the theater. Like it was the the best line they'd... It's like they'd never seen a movie before and was like, what? You can say That's that? That's funny. It was like, man, I'm glad yeah. I saw the movie with that person. Um, but I, but I, the other thing I was curious too, what you guys thought about the power that's supposedly going to destroy everything from within Jean and then the aliens are trying to steal back from her. It just didn't have the weight that I wanted it to. Did you feel the same way? No. It, that that story felt the Dark Phoenix stuff felt the least <laughs> significant in the in the Dark Phoenix movie. Like Jean kind of flying around being like, "Will anyone accept me?" and everyone's like, "No." And she's like, "All right, bye." And she'll fly off and go somewhere else. Everything around her seems like emotionally like Nicholas Holt is so good and and like you said, Matt the scene with him and uh and Professor Xavier just sitting down at the table felt very like if Kinberg was going for Logan, that scene alone is clearly like he's like, okay, at least I'll have this one scene in the movie. But Jean Grey, like Sophie Turner, she's a great actress. And I mean, she's amazing in Game of Thrones and she's good in this movie. It just feels like it's it's a it's tough. There, there's not a lot to. It felt like she didn't have a lot to work with, and the the bad guys, the aliens. I don't even remember what they're called. The Jessica Chastain Brigade. They are so. They're about as bland as any like villain I've seen in a superhero movie. Like I, I, I could not have cared less about them. I couldn't have cared less about like we need the Phoenix power. It's like I just don't care. This is like an excuse to have the X-Men fight something at the end on a train. There's, there's, I feel like there is a review. There has to be a review out there that says this movie, which is a train wreck has a literal train wreck (laughs) in it. Someone has got to have mentioned that in their review. It just felt too easy, but yeah, I, I I feel the same way. The Phoenix stuff was almost the weakest part. I, I wanted more of the relationship between her and Scott and that felt like they tried, but they're I'm going off on different tangents, but Ty Sheridan, here's another guy, him and Michael Fassbender. I wanted more of both of them Mm -hmm. because I think they're both great. Well, and I think, you know, you hit on something that's important. And and again, it's where I was like, this movie needs to be a three hour epic or it needs to be like a two parter basically. Um, Because, you know, the storyline with Jessica Chastain's shape shifting aliens, they're to Dabari. So, (laughs) <laughs> they thank you someone's needed, doing their yeah, homework yeah what needed to happen was there needed to be a prologue to this yes movie with their story like lord of the rings or whatever where you tell what th- this power is and you explain it all and i think again this movie just kind of feels rushed so maybe even a two and a half hour movie where we really allow these moments to happen and to breathe and you get more character moments together so you know you can spend more time at the beginning with the team having some successful missions before they go on the fateful mission. You know, the, the there's nothing wrong with a movie kind of just getting to its point. 
Um, and I think one of the things that it seems like Kinberg did is he wanted this movie to be more character driven. So he felt like he had to get to the emotional weight of what's going on with Jean Grey. And that meant getting her the power as soon as possible. But I think that's the mistake that they make is by not allowing the movie to breathe at the beginning, by giving you a prologue, by allowing you to get back in with these characters and getting into their world and getting back in with them so that then about a third of the way through the movie, you get that happening. And then you can spend the, the, the rest of the film dealing with the repercussions of that fateful mission but the movie pretty much just starts off with them going on this mission and it it's uh, it just never allows you to to catch up with them and so it's like it's not a bad tone or anything it's really just an editing and a pacing issue and and, and a storytelling issue of just not allowing you to kind of get back in with hey we're with the X-Men and look we're going on a few <laughs> missions and oh the world loves them you know like we don't get to feel any of that stuff because we just immediately jump into Oh, and she's got this dark power, and then we don't explain these aliens, and and it's like, it, it you know, I just fixed all your problems in the film. <laughs> I'm confused um, too by it. so the phoenix power in the comics. It's something that kind of resides in Jean, and I think they did that in Apocalypse too. It was like, oh, she has like a true potential, and she became like all fiery and stuff at the end of Apocalypse. But so what it's very confusing as to like, so did the evil alien make her, did that power manifest or did it give her, I, I, I'm, I think everyone involved with these movies is just as confused as I am watching them. Cause I'm not sure what it was supposed to do. Like if it was just releasing something inside her or if it was the Phoenix itself, I don't well, know. And even, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying because if you think about it, you know, from the first line of the movie, it says, can we evolve? But then they never really yeah. explain that. And you don't seem to see Jean evolve. It's more just a struggle. And then she sacrifices herself. And I, but yeah, I mean, I think even with the transfer of the solar power, whatever you want to call it, um, between her and the alien, it feels like at first they're trying to tell her be who you are and just let everything go. And then they're saying, but actually we were here to trick you to take it back from you. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going, wait, sense. so do you want it back or do you want to bring out who she really is? <laughs> I think what they want is that, and I, I think in the movie they're, they're, they're you, they're just basically using Gene. Okay. Because if she can control the power, that's great. If not, they will kill her and try and take, you know, that power back and whatnot. So, but again, it's just, they they have all these conversations and things feel very rushed and everything. And so, you just, you don't, you're not allowed to be able to sit in any of these moments, really. Mm -hmm. um, where you can kind of really contemplate what's happening at all. And that's a little bit frustrating. I mean, I would say my favorite thing about Endgame was that those moments, right, where they th the movie is long and it allows you to sit in these moments. I know some people didn't like it that it was that long. And I think this movie could have benefited from them saying, you know what, we should probably allow people to be able to breathe in these moments. Yeah. 
And I think a lot of movies do that, you know, where it's like you need just a little bit of space to kind of truly feel what's happening or learn what's happening or anything. And we just feel this rush to like, no, we got to get to the next action scene. And that's not always important because the if the action isn't supported by the story, then the action just becomes meaningless yes. action. And that's not what we want. So, um, you know, we've kind of discussed a little bit, but, you know, the other thing I felt like about this movie is that I liked all of the performances that we got for the most part. There was only one to me that stood out, um, sadly, as I felt like that was just like, yes, let me get my paycheck and let me never have to wear blue alien skin ever again, even if it's just on my face. <laughs> I, I got that I, vibe too. I don't, I, yeah. she. Th- this I love is Jennifer Lawrence. This, I mean, I, yes. uh, I, she's one of my no favorites. No offense to but, her. She's a long time yeah. listener of the show, so we know she's <laughs> yeah, more I'm sorry, than welcome Jen, to join I apologize. us. She sorry, goes by J Law. <laughs> she, X Men has the weirdest relationship with its Oscar-winning actors. So, like, the same thing happened with the first X Men. You had Halle Berry as Storm, was like a moderately well-known actress, but then she wins an Oscar for Monsters Ball, and all of a sudden she's like the main character of X-Men 2. And then she becomes the leader of the X-Men in X-Men 3. Same thing happens with J-Law. You have first class, she wasn't really that well known. And then she like blew up right around that time. Like Hunger Games came out, what, the following year? So all of a sudden she's huge. And then Days of Future Past, she's like a huge pivotal part. And then she's like the leader of the X-Men and Apocalypse and this movie. And you just get the sense that like in the first one, Jennifer Lawrence is like, oh, yeah, sure. An X-Men movie. That'll be a really good paycheck. And that could be fun. And then by the time we get to this one, she's like, no, you know, I have an Oscar. I don't really need to do this, but I guess I will. But I, uh, yeah, it, she's like not terrible, but she's definitely ready. She's ready to go. She was probably thrilled about getting killed See, by the second act. I don't know. I, I wondered more if it was having to deal with the reshoot situation that maybe it felt that way than her not wanting to come back. I mean, I yeah. don't know if I, I didn't hear anything about her not wanting to come back. Um, But it, it I don't know. No, it, it, I, I didn't get the vibe like. I, with this franchise, all the act it, it's the X Men franchise has had a tough time living in the shadow of the MCU because oh, yeah. it almost doesn't have a reason to exist. Like when the the X Men were like the team of superheroes, that was like for me that was what made them so appealing. And the second you have the Avengers, it's kind of like the X Men become irrelevant. And I think they've been struggling since the MCU really took off to find their place. It's like, all right, well, we can't do big superhero action. The angle of the the superhero team up is kind of stolen. Where do we go from there? So I've always felt like the actors aren't like upset. They seem like they really enjoy each other's company, but I almost feel like they're like talking to each other. Like, don't you kind of wish we were that Marvel studios had bought the X-Men franchise a little earlier and maybe we could have gotten <laughs> some of that money. That's the vibe I get whenever, like, I, I feel like I never hear Jennifer Lawrence talk about, dark phoenix or like the x-men movies are like oh i'm so excited for people to see this i don't feel like any of the actors involved have ever gone out of their way to be like i can't wait for you guys to to see this movie maybe that's a fault of their pr people and the marketing people not making them post things on social media but it's always felt a little like oh yeah that's right i did that other movie that's gonna come that's out that's a good point 
Right. I think maybe the only person that has done that in a positive way has probably been like Hugh Jackman, who isn't in them anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is, is this like the first X-Men movie where he's not even referenced? <laughs> it feels it like he's be. been referenced in every single X-Men movie except this one. I think that might be true. Well, except actually. maybe when Raven dies, it kind of looks like his claws. Yeah. But maybe that's right. just well, my dark we can't, sound. couldn't even get out of this one without a Wolverine <laughs> yeah. reference. One of the things I felt like, though, you know, I was, again, for the most part, I felt like all of the other performances were were pretty good in the film, and especially the ones that I needed to be there. You know, I, I think James McAvoy is giving it all he has. I don't feel like Michael Fassbender is phoning no. it in. I feel like Nicholas Holt, you know, is definitely really invested. And I... I too felt like Sophie Turner did a very good job with what she did have to work with to make me care enough that, you know, when she's having that moment, you know, where it's raining and she's like the blood is all and she's just kind of having that kind of almost psychotic moment of like she can't get the blood off and like she doesn't know what to do. And like, I think she's great in a lot of those places. Um, You know, there's some stuff here where I think she's definitely pulling on her Sansa uh, work you know with game of thrones um you can definitely you can see that uh and then you know there were some moments too where like even where she's having fun with with scott and she she just she showed a lot of range i've just you know again it, it's it's not her and i don't really think for the most part it's anyone in this movie um i think the only one who just totally gets shortchanged in the film is evan peter's you know, totally. Quicksilver. <laughs> yeah. He's barely in he the movie. He basically got Captain Marveled in this movie where he, yes, they were like, how do we get him out of yeah. the movie as quickly <laughs> as possible so he can't solve everyone's problems? I kind of like how you just turned Captain Marvel into a verb, Captain Marvel. <laughs> uh, yeah. Where it's basically, well, Captain Marvel, it, when it's like, oh, sorry, I have to go back to my home planet, which is, a, I guess, a Poochie thing. So technically, Poochie should be the verb, but... Um, that's what it felt like when they like Quicksilver just gets knocked out immediately and then he's gone for the rest of the movie. It's like, is he dead? Is he okay? We never hear from him again. And then all of a sudden at the end, he's like, Hey, what's up, everybody? And it's like, wait a second. Where were you this entire time? You were, were you sick that whole time? He realized slow motion doesn't solve all your problems. That's right. That was, that's the hard lesson learned in this movie. Yeah. I definitely wanted more of him. Well, Maybe they just felt like how do I mean we can't top the other scenes yeah. that he's done, you know. Yeah, so music. It's it's we've yeah. So that's something that I you know um I actually enjoyed the train action sequence. I don't know about mm. you guys, but I thought what made it good was that we finally got to watch the team work together as a team. To me, you know, very few of the X-Men movies have really had the whole team working together and in concert with each other, using their powers in tandem to, to make something happen. And so I found that really enjoyable. Um, and yeah. I didn't feel like, again, it it's, it's, I think the other part about it was it wasn't one of those things where I felt like we just have to make this action sequence as big as possible. It's like they found a way to make it what it needed to be for the story, but not make it so overblown that it just feel like, oh, we're just trying to be ridiculously huge. Um, it just was what it was. And to me, it worked. And I know a lot of people just kind of like 
I don't know. I feel like they've been poo-pooing it, but I, I didn't find it rote or boring or anything like that. I was enjoying all of the action, especially watching them all kind of, especially the the kid versions, you know, be able to use their powers really well. I mean, the moment when Kurt just goes psycho um, was kind of great, you know, like some of those moments there too with the acting and everything and action allowed them to be able to do those things. So, I, for the most part, I, I enjoyed the action of the film. I felt like it fit what it needed to fit without being like so overblown or so ridiculous that like now I'm just tuning out. I was never bored with it. Like I, that's the thing. I think a lot of times, um, what determines how much I dislike a movie is how bored I am watching it. And I was never bored watching Dark Phoenix, so I can give it that. There was some stuff with the the Jessica Chastain stuff that I was like, I don't care. Um, but it wasn't so frequently on screen that it just killed me. Um, I liked, like, I thought the train sequence was great. Like you said, it was a really cool way to see them all team up. It was small scale, so it wasn't like the end of the world is nigh and we have to stop. It just felt like very, like, the stakes were pretty grounded. They had to protect Gene. Everyone's working together. It was, I thought it was a little goofy the way they kind of had, uh, Magneto and Beast very quickly changed their tune. Like they've been like, yeah. we're gonna kill her. And then Professor Xavier is like, you don't understand. She's it's not her fault. And Magneto's like, you're right. I don't want to kill her anymore. And it was like, all right, well, okay. Um, that felt a little goofy, but overall, I uh, I enjoyed it. I liked. Um, I thought the kill where uh, Kurt transports the guy out in front of the train was really. That felt like a. If that this was movie one had of the been best this move. Yeah, if this movie had been better, that would have been a really good cheer moment for the audience. Um, my audience was actually re- surprisingly into it. Uh, they applauded at the end, which I was like, oh, well, all right, I guess, you know, give this movie some consolation. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm, yeah, I agree. I thought it was, uh, for the most part, it was, it did really well with what it had to work with. I did also think that it, it the train scene was fine. It, I was right along for the ride the whole time in that scene. Um, I I felt like it was nice to making it seem difficult to get rid of the aliens. You know, they had sort of that Terminator vibe of no matter how many times you shoot them, they grow back and you're going, how can we kill these guys? Um, I, but I, Nightcrawler, I think, is probably my favorite of all the X-Men. And I think it was especially awesome in this and getting his vindictive moment of throwing that guy in front of the train. I'm so glad you brought that up because <laughs> yeah, like, that was great. Oh. It was great. The movie, like the movie, is not. Uh, I don't get it. I, r- look, Rotten Tomatoes isn't everything. Rotten Tomatoes is a good bad ratio. Like you see it all the time, even with a movie like like Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange has a 90 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, I think like. The Exorcist has an 86%. So it's like, we're not talking, no one in their right mind would say Doctor Strange is a better movie than The Exorcist. But what happens is if a movie, if a movie gets a lukewarm review, like where someone was like, it's fine, that pat, that gives it a pass. So Rotten Tomatoes, you have to take with a grain of salt. That being said, 22% seems so harsh for people to so beat up on this movie. I don't know. Like, and it's not just the fact that it's like, people saying this movie wasn't great it's like people really tearing it apart i don't get i get that it's not great i get that it's kind of especially after avengers it feels like oh we have to do one of these again fine but like it's not terrible and it's like they did the best with what they had this movie was never gonna be 
good or great with all the production woes it was experiencing. The fact that it feels coherent in some respect feels like a minor miracle. So I don't know. It it feels I'm not going to jump on a bandwagon and be like, this movie is amazing. But like, it does feel very like, why is everyone beating up this? Like, didn't they go through enough? The movie's not going to make any money. It's like they they limped across the finish line. Are we really just going to rip this thing to shreds? You know, the answer is yes, we are. I wanted to to talk to you guys about because, you know, I feel like I've been noticing it more and more and more with movies where the the pre-movie story gets written for a film and the story either poisons the well for that movie or it makes it bulletproof, you know, and I, I like... I feel like this is a movie, and 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 this movie is suffering. I think from this many of the same things that happen with Solo. Honestly, it's like just because a movie has production woes doesn't mean it's going to be a bad movie. If you read everything that went wrong during the filming of Star Wars, it would have been one of these movies. Like everybody been like, "Oh no, that's a train wreck. You're not going to want to go see that. It's awful." You know what happened on set in Tunisia? They lost like the entire set. Like we didn't know any of that crap. And nobody cared. They just went and saw the finished picture and they judged the movie by the finished product. And like you said, Sean, this movie is like it's like those commercials where they're like, "It's fine." You know? Yeah. <laughs> like so it's not you're not one of the best? No. But I'm good. I'm, are you good? Yeah, I'm good. You know, but it's not great. And and like, there's a big difference between a movie being an absolute train wreck, um, which is Aladdin, mm-hmm. and uh, you know this movie where it's like, it's fine. There's there's nothing wrong with it in the sense of like, I'm not bored in it. I'm not checking my phone every five seconds, wondering what time it is. When is this going to be over? Uh, I all I actually want from the movie is that I like it enough so I actually just want it to be better. You know, I come out of it thinking, man, if you had done this, this, and this, this would have been a better film. And I'm I'm actually just kind of tired of pre-narratives ruining films before they actually even get a chance with the audience. I think that's kind of wrong. And it's disappointing because you can't you can't judge a movie till it's actually finished, you know? And then judge the movie for what it actually is. And is this movie 22%? Absolutely not. And Sean, you talking about like Doctor Strange being at 90%. I'm like, that's a like 70% movie at best. You know, well, like everyone disagree. has their own Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> <laughs> rating scale. You know, like, but this movie does not deserve to be at 22%. Like, it. this yeah. is probably a 60% like movie. Like a 30%. This is like yeah. three. Realistic. You know? Yeah. <laughs> realistically if this movie hadn't been i think if this movie i think it was originally supposed to be released late last year and then they moved it i just read a hollywood reporter article and uh they were saying that it was going to be released end of last year but then it got moved to february and then james cameron was worried alita wasn't going to do well if it was competing with x-men so they moved it again and then alita didn't do well anyway and uh dark phoenix didn't do well either so nobody's happy and i um yeah you know i think we're just living in an age blockbuster filmmaking has trained us star wars is the best example you see it every time a new star wars movie comes out if it's not like 
the best movie ever it's the worst movie ever and it's like it can't be just like oh that was good a star wars movie has to be either terrible or it has to be amazing and it can't just be like fine and x-men is the victim of that it's coming out right after avengers endgame this epic finale that's not really a finale but still it like kind of raised the bar for superhero cinema and then dark phoenix kind of comes out and it's like hey we're here too and any it's it's anything in comparison to endgame is kind of gonna feel feeble but dark phoenix just had so much working against it that immediately people were like you suck it can't just be like we can't just be happy with like a movie that was like oh that was a decent time at the movies it has to be especially with blockbusters and superheroes and franchises it has to be amazing or else everyone's like eh I don't know if that's because the the market's oversaturated or what, but that's what it feels like. I do definitely feel like it, it's unfair for people to come out and have all these harsh judgments when no one had even seen it yet. I mean, it, because absolutely. <laughs> also, nobody's seen it. <laughs> no one's seen it now, judging from the box office. But numbers, like, if you if you haven't seen it, it and all you know is that there were these shooting problems, then I don't think that you can judge anything yet. And so I did actually stay away from any of that until I saw the movie. I think maybe the day before my husband had mentioned something to me about, did you hear about the the shooting issues? And I said, no, I just was, you know, saw the preview and was like, oh, okay, maybe that'll be good. I like Sophie Turner. Um, so I, I did go into it, thankfully, kind of unknowing with that stuff, which I'm glad for. Um, but, I, but I do feel like we all wanted more from this than we got. Yeah. And that's what's disappointing mind. for me. Yeah, I, you know, I will say the the buzz surrounding the movie and all the controversy helped temper my expectations. Like, I think if I had gone into this, like, Dark Phoenix, oh, it's going to be great, and everything X-Men 3 was, I, I don't know. It kind of helped me settle my expectations. I think the, the articles and the stuff about the production was, I went into it knowing, well, this movie... This movie sounds like a mess. They've delayed it so many times. There's no way it's going to be good it's not gonna be great it's probably not gonna be good i would like for it to be decent and not terrible and i got those things mm-hmm. um but uh it, sometimes that helps but i i kind of get the it's very easy to start beating up on a movie once everybody around you is like that's, that's terrible true. and you're like oh i guess it is you're right yeah and that's i think that's always the thing like you know i think it kind of said many a times in the show it's like don't just go make up your own mind, you know? And and honestly, so many times the less you know about how the sausage is made when it comes to movies, the better you are for it. Um, you know, it it's like, go read all that stuff after you see the movie. But, like, you know, you knowing that so-and-so was cast and then somebody else was cast and, like, so much of this stuff actually hurts our enjoyment of film rather than actually helps. And I don't know why we have to feel like we have to know all of it, you know? Cause again, like I just go back to thinking about imagine Twitter on, on the, the, the original star Wars shoot and all the press releases and like, you know, the Hollywood reporter articles about how awful the, you know, the set is and like George Lucas isn't really talking to his cast and like, I mean, just think you could just picture all of the headlines and how that movie would have been completely poisoned to the audience before they even saw it. And it's like, it doesn't matter. It's it's all about the movie itself. And like, so I guess for you guys coming down to it, 
the the final the the final countdown here. What is your rating for Dark Phoenix? So I I think for me, uh, thinking about all of the things, I'm glad that we discussed as a group to get to realize the things that I did enjoy about this movie, maybe more than I remembered. Um, In particular, like I said, with Raven, um, I loved that portrayal of her death and what it meant for the other people in her life. Um, And I think that having the as many of the original actors back as you could gave it a lot of strength that it needed. Um, But I wish that we'd gotten some more of people like Magneto and like Quicksilver, like we said, and um, it did have a great score. Of course, uh, having Hans Zimmer come and do that, I I felt like gave it a lot more um, gravitas that it needed as well. Wait, Hans Zimmer did the score? Yeah, Yeah, he came out of uh, superhero retirement to do this score. I totally forgot that, so I'm glad I threw that in there. Um, But it, you know, it had a couple of things that were big drawbacks for me as well, because I I didn't feel like the threat was really a threat. Uh, And if it's going to be called Dark Phoenix, I think that probably that should be the biggest part of the movie. And it felt like it was kind of off to the side and that, you know, really more of it was about um, Xavier and him, you know, kind of turning toward the villain side. And I don't know, it, it didn't feel like it really should have been the end to an era of X-Men movies. It felt like there should have been a few more or it should have been longer, like you said, Matt. So for me, really, it kind of comes down to a four out of ten. Um, I'm going to say Magneto helmets because that's on my mind right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It bums me out. It's, you know, I, I went on my rant about Rotten Tomatoes, but if if I were to contribute a review and it sounds like Christie's too, I'd probably do like four or five. I'm going to I'm going to say five just to be nice to this this poor mm-hmm. movie. But that's technically a rotten review. So I'm contributing to that 22 percent. Sorry, but I will say the movie is not terrible for me. X-Men three is like one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. And a lot of that is painted by Wolverine fact- Origins. What? Oh, X-Men Wolverine Origins too. Wolverine Origins. X-Men, but the thing is, X-Men Origins, I never expected to be good. And X-Men 3, I was hoping would be great, especially after X-Men 2. I knew it had a different director, but I was hoping for the best. And I got something so the opposite of the first two X-Men movies. So Dark Phoenix feels tonally more like x-men one and two like it doesn't have any stupid jokes or anything that made x-men three such a miserable experience the character beats feel more genuine and uh like i said the character deaths felt a little more earned um it's not a bad movie it's not particularly good but it's it's like it's fine it really falls into the same category as apocalypse where I, i don't know if i'll ever watch it again but i didn't hate myself for watching it so i would i'll say i'll just be nice and say five realistically i'd probably give it a four but i'm gonna be nice there you go yeah see you know for me this is i i'd say this is you know six out of ten um it's just right above average but it's just kind of right in that area that we're all in right and and it's 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 just fresh. Like, again, it's like it is to me, if I were given a rotten tomato score, it's 60%, you know, it's just fresh. 
So our it's reviews, me. our scores are the original Star Wars trilogy, four, five, and <laughs> nice. six. Yeah, exactly. What does um, that mean? And I, I just, I feel like, I feel like this is definitely one of the times where the reviewing world, like the mo, and I said this to John Mills, and I, and I'll say it here, like. I feel like there's a thing where you open the door in the reviewing world to be able to just like destroy a movie and you open that a crack and that's exactly what happens. Like everybody just dogpiles on the movie and destroys it. Cause this, I mean the, the same thing happened to Batman V Superman and that movie is not a 20 whatever percent movie either. At least one of us in this room wearing a Superman shirt would so, have to differ, but but um, I just, I again, though, I just feel like that's the case with so many of these type of movies where you, they just get the most rotten scores, you know. Um, and, and again, like we all said, the movie's fine. It's, it's, it's not the best movie you're going to ever see. It's not going to be the worst movie you're going to ever see. It's going to be in the middle, you know. Um, I wouldn't say it's the Goldilocks of films where it's just right. <laughs> but, you know, it. It you could do worse at the theater right now. You could so go. don't go see Aladdin. Go see a, 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 you know Dark Phoenix. Um, do yourself a favor. Stay away from Aladdin. See Dark Phoenix. <laughs> you could have um, watched. Uh, there's one thing you take away. Really, we could just have made this entire review. Matt explaining why no one should see Aladdin. <laughs> I could. Do we went that. and saw um, it the same day, so I'm that. right along with Matt. Yeah. Hey, yeah. go Don't, go watch uh, yeah. the room. Anyway. That'll be the worst movie you've ever seen. Oh man, that. <laughs> Sorry. <great>. Anyway, <laughs> but um, you know, I, again, I think this is the thing that I love about doing this show is being able to come in and and kind of really talk through things and 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 like we we didn't do the thing where we just could have ripped this movie a new one like everybody else. I think we really intellectually talked through the criticisms we had of this film and the reasons we thought that they were that way and the ways that we would have made it better. Like, I think that's what makes for good movie criticism is, is being able to talk about the problems you saw, but actually what you would have done to change it and make it better. Uh, And so that's the fun of doing this show. And I'm really glad we got an opportunity to that. And I'm thankful that our producers, uh, our associate producers here uh, through Patreon, Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Ryan Millette, and Daniel Noah give us the opportunity to do that. They support the network each and every week through Patreon. Make sure that all the shows here on Trek FM as well as the 602 Club come to you each and every week. Now, they know what we hope you will know, and that's that we can't do this alone. Trek of M is a very big network and uh, there's always a lot going on on the, we have so many episodes coming out each and every week. And the only way that we can support this network is through listeners just like you. So please go over to patreon.com slash Trek and see how you can be part of our team. We have some great contribution levels that you can give at to give you even extra perks, but honestly, every little bit helps again. That's patreon.com slash track fm now clark kent i mean superman i mean sean um if uh anybody wants to catch up with you and find out how wrong you are about batman v superman uh, where can they find you you can find me over on the nerd party network there i host and produce a show called missing frames which is where we watch all the movies we should have seen by this point in our lives things like the godfather princess bride whatever anything where someone would slap you if you told them you hadn't seen it that's what we do minus the slapping uh maybe we need more slapping i don't know 
you can tell us like that but you Batman can find me comic there. where you know you get slapped you know like she slaps robin you know? i like to think i bring something special to the podcasting community mainly <laughs> slapping but uh, you can find me there you can find me uh all over the web on twitter at yeshondor man i'm just hanging out there yell at me it'll be great and you're on uh, Letterbox too under Yeshawn Dorman. I'm on Letterbox. You can you can yell at me in so many places at Yeshawn Dorman. Uh, it's actually it's at I think it's just Sean Dorman on Letterbox. But you can read my reviews there. I should write one for Dark Phoenix. I feel like it'll just be me, just being sad, which maybe people want to see. <laughs> maybe people want that. Uh, well, Christy, um, obviously, uh, it's always great that uh, you're here with me to do these shows. And um, you have had a plethora of new things start. And so please let everybody know what those are. Yeah, you can find me personally on Twitter and Instagram, of course, at Best Ben Bell. Uh, and now Sean and I are going to have to go father- follow each other. <laughs> uh, and I'm also, of course, uh other than the 602 Club, which I do usually here with Matt, uh, I'm glad we got to be on this one and do Dark Phoenix together because uh, I know I didn't get to do the other um, previous X-Men discussions with you guys. So I'm glad to go back and hear some of those, too. Um, but in, in addition to 602 Club, once a week, or I'm sorry, every other week, uh, I do a show with my friend Teresa called, called Sabres and Spells. And we talk about pretty much anything geek pop culture we went to for 30 to 45 minutes. Uh, we just recently did the Game of Thrones final season, and we're about to talk about Umbrella Academy. So if you haven't watched that yet, or if you're just starting, join us for that. And then uh, otherwise, I do once a month a five-minute segment called Fashion and Five on the Star Wars Report about men's and women's Star Wars fashion. And finally, I do a, a show once a month called Planet Leia on the Fantatrax Network with a couple other girls talking about um, Star Wars perspectives from around the world. You guys do so much more than I do. Uh, you do a lot. I'm like well, the Dark Phoenix. I'm like the Dark true. Phoenix of this, <laughs> this trio. I mean, I didn't want to say anything. But, um, let me list all the ways I'm better than Sean. Um, you can find me. <laughs> just kidding. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd on the day MattRushing02. Um, I am here on the network when we can get out a show. Chris and I are doing The Orb uh, as we talk about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Uh, you can also find me over on the Nerd Party Network along with Sean doing a show with our good friend, a mutual good friend, John Mills, uh, as we talk all about Star Wars each and every week on Aggressive Negotiations. You can also find me doing Owl Post with Drea Kaufman as we're talking about the Harry Potter series one chapter at a time. And then last but not least, I do cinema stories with my good friend Courtney as we talk about films through the lens of faith. But thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? 